0: Welcome back, everybody, for the final talk of the day. And then we'll have happy hour and dinner and walks, and maybe go to the river. Um, we're very excited to have the cartoonist Ellen Forney with us today, uh, and, and very happy she was able to join us. Um, and this may be something that comes up in her talk, but I asked her you know, are you, a, are you a graphic novelist? Are you a cartoonist? I mean, how do you like to describe what you do? And she went on for a little while about that and the problematic language around what she does uh, and the, um, the lack of clarity in pop culture about what she does. But she said, no, I just, I'm a cartoonist. Um, she was first published, her first published cartoon was in Ms. Magazine in 1992. Um, And she said, I didn't realize it at the time, but it looks so much like my hero, Alison Bechtel, um, which is slightly embarrassing to me now. But I think Alison Bechtel is a wonderful hero to have and someone to emulate. Um, And when she was growing up and asked what she wanted to be when she reached adulthood, she said she wanted to be an illustrator, an author, and an actor. And that what she does as a cartoonist combines all of those things together. She said, when you write comics, you get to do all of the writing, all of the illustrating, all of the acting. And she started drawing uh, at a very early age. I think she said as soon as she could hold something and draw. She's the author of Marbles, Mania, Depression, Michelangelo, and Me. And uh, an upcoming book called Rock Steady. Brilliant Advice from My Bipolar Life, which comes out in May. Um, But today, we're going to maybe get a kind of sneak peek into some of the ideas in that book with her talk, Rock Steady, a Bipolar Cartoonist on Graphic Medicine. So please join me in welcoming Ellen Forning.
1: The summer before I turned 30, I was seeing a mental health counselor because I'd been feeling down. But by the end of the year, my mood had lifted, and what she had been calling jazzed, that I was being more and more jazzed, she started getting concerned and referred me to a psychiatrist who diagnosed me with bipolar disorder. I didn't really believe it right at first, at the time, because I felt great. But she suggested that we go through the symptoms together. Criteria for manic episode. A, a distinct period of abnormally and persistently elevated, expansive, or irritable mood lasting at least one week. A week? I've been feeling great for months. B. During the period of mood disturbance, three of the following symptoms have persisted and have been present to a significant degree. One, inflated self-esteem or grandiosity. I had to admit to that one. I'd had a sudden realization not long before out of nowhere that if I was at a party and Madonna was there, I wouldn't be intimidated at all. (laughs) Two, decreased need for sleep. E.G. feels rested after only three hours of sleep. True. Well, more like four. But I really hadn't seen it as a problem. Three. More talkative than usual or pressure to keep talking. I'd noticed this. I love hostessing, I always keep my liquor cabinet stocked and some pot, but not a pot of chicken stock. (laughs) Why do you think chicken means cowardly? Like, why not bunny, verb, he totally bunnied out. Let's start saying that. Four, flight of ideas or subjective experience that thoughts are racing. I'd noticed that too. Bunny, carrot, stick, sexual innuendo. Pun, side note, pun, lots of puns. Five, distractibility, i.e., attention too easily drawn to unimportant or irrelevant external stimuli. Unimportant or irrelevant, that's subjective. Everything is relevant. That's just one possible symptom. Five, distractibility, i.e., oh, what, one more. Six, increase in goal-directed activity, either socially, at work, or school, or sexually, or psychomotor agitation. What does this mean? Generally, a very high libido, or planning unusually high-risk ventures, or overcommitting to too many activities. Oh. These were all describing me. Seven, excessive involvement in pleasurable activities that have a high potential for painful consequences. This generally refers to buying sprees or unprotected sex. Now, I didn't have unprotected sex, but what I later learned is called hypersexuality was definitely true. I could flirt with a wall. (laughs) I remember doing that once, but just because I thought it was funny. (laughs) I found strangers fascinating, like presents to open. I was brazen, and I didn't fear rejection. My own brilliant, unique personality was neatly outlined right there in that inanimate stack of paper. My personality reflected a disorder, and not unique, but shared by a group of people. This sank in like the sun had gone behind the clouds, like I'd been covered by a heavy blanket, like a parrot, like a magic eye stereogram, revealing a clear, irrefutable 3D image. You, Are crazy. But I have to say, even as the weight of that news sank in, the sense of heaviness was alleviated a bit by a backhanded sense of cred. (laughs) Passionate, tortured, fire, ice, unmoored, unbridled, dangerous. I was officially a crazy artist. So that is a little bit of Chapter 2 of my book, Marbles, Mania, Depression, Michelangelo and Me, a graphic memoir about my bipolar disorder and what that's meant to me as an artist. And it also goes through uh, other artists and writers through history who had mood disorders and a lot of studies correlating mood disorders and creativity. It was a a lot of work and I had a lot of hopes for the book. Uh, I was hoping that it would give company and information and specific tools to other people who had mood disorders and that it, would, that it would be read by other family and friends and caregivers. And then also that it would be um, useful in academics and in, in medicine, in clinical practice. So I was thrilled when a few months after it came out Um, I got an email from Dr. Michael Green at the um, Penn uh, Penn State University Med School asking if I would Skype in to his graphic medicine senior seminar class. Great, yes! What's graphic medicine? So graphic medicine is, in short... Comics about illness and healthcare. Um, it's a genre that's mostly memoir, and some of it is patient like public health education. I'll get into more specifics later. Um, personal stories of illness go beyond diagnoses and s- symptoms and specific treatments, sort of like Mayo Clinic, kind of when you look up your disorder on, online, and, and it shows how the experience really feels from the, from the inside. The stories give company and understanding to patients and important insights to others and the general public and caregivers. And it's actually a more established field than you might think. It's definitely upcoming, most people haven't heard of it, but um, there's a comics and medicine conference every year this past spring, March, uh, it was in Seattle. And um, I spoke there when it was at Johns Hopkins in 2014. And the National Library of Medicine, I am happy to say, I am curating um, an uh, exhibition that they are, that's going to be traveling starting in January 2018, called Graphic Medicine Ill Conceived and Well Drawn. Which I didn't think they were going to go for, that title. I was like, yuck, yuck, and they were like, great. So um, I'm a big believer in comics. Uh, I think that the medium of comics is so great to tell this kind of story, Um, though words are really specific. I'm going to show you another spread from marbles. they tell very specific information. In the excerpt that I just read for you, there was very specific information in the symptoms. If I were to try to draw that, it wouldn't be nearly so clear. At the same time, pictures have an impact, a visceral, intuitive impact that we've been hearing about all day. Um, This, if I were To ask you if you thought that this was a scene when I was manic or when I was depressed, I imagine you probably would guess that it was when I was manic. So um, there's plenty of other things that I could point out, but essentially, what comics, the comics language, weaves together the specificity of words and that kind of emotionality and mood of pictures and creates a a really powerful language of its own. So I'm going to give you um, just a kind of zip through a sampling of graphic medicine, ranging from patient experience and experience in the medical system, taking care of an ill family member, stories by doctors, stories by doctors, um, and then some public health information. So this is The Infinite weight by Julia Wirtz, who is uh, uh, was a, a, a hilarious, um, um, what the hell is that word? When, when you don't like anybody, and you're really cranky? <laughs> <My> misanthrope. <laughs> Julia Wirtz. And so this is about her, her getting diagnosed with lupus. I'm disappointed that it doesn't have a cool name like Scarlet Fever or the Black death or even Cholera. Lupus sounds like an off-brand breakfast cereal. It does. I heard somebody say it. Um, El Defo by CeCe Bell. This is a, a young adult book um, about growing up deaf. And she says that people get really excited to try out their sign language on on her and say, really, as she puts it, phony baloney stuff. I think you are special. (laughs) Please stop. (laughs) Cancer Vixen was serialized in Glamour magazine um, and then collected into this book. Um. Uh. And it ha- it just has a ton of information in it, and uh, uh, I I highly recommend it. It feels really breezy in tone, but it has so much information. Before the dreaded core biopsy, Dr. Mills fills us in: <coughs> cancer, lumpectomy may but may not be invasive, lymph nodes. The last doctor's visit without a tape recorder. And that's. What I mean by giving tools to other people who are going through some sort of illness. I know somebody else who said, I read that and I always brought in a tape recorder. Can't We Talk About Something More Pleasant by Roz Chast? I just have to ask, has anybody here read that? Oh my god, you guys. It's so good. I totally laughed and cried. Uh, It's awesome. Roz Chast is um, a New Yorker cartoonist, and it's just such a rich, rich book. It's about taking care of her aging and then dying parents. Um, Leading up to this, Roz told her mother, uh, and she had a very difficult relationship in particular with her mother. She told her mother that her father might actually be dying. Mom, has it occurred to you that dad might be actually dying? That did not go over well. I do not like to talk about death and I will not talk about death. So these are uh, caregivers in the family and the different issues that come into play with that, that the way that family dynamics grow and change and how they uh, connections come and, and uh, some divisiveness as well. So, Mom's Cancer by Brian Feese was also serialized uh, online as a real-time journal and uh, about what was going through. He, was, he, he and his mom and his family were going through when she was diagnosed with cancer. Um, and it was collected into, into a book. And so this is him and his siblings. Um, his wife had said that it really seems like under, in, a, in a crisis, everybody who has certain uh, attributes, it just turns into superpowers. So this is them, Uh, so him, why don't you just mellow out? Why, because I took charge and you didn't? What am I, invisible? She's a nurse. He was kind of holding back. The invisible one was the youngest sister who actually lived with the mom. So they had, they depended on each other, but they had so much fights, so much fights. Um, The Bad Doctor is a semi-autobiographical graphic novel uh, by Ian Williams, who is a a clinical, he's a general practitioner um, who grew up with OCD. And this book is about a general practitioner who grew up with OCD. Um, This is a drawing that Ian did that's uh, in the book about what OCD felt like. Um, and he is, he is one of the founders of graphic medicine uh, as a recognized field, and he's the one that coined the term. He also has a weekly comic in The Guardian called Sick Notes. This one is a four, it's a four panel one, and it's, it's actually, it's, I, I think I already like elbowed Blaze about this one that, um, that uh doctor is concerned about being being replaced by robots and the robot in the the oh it's, and it's called uh, doctor robot will see you soon and um, the the robot is saying about how it just got he's just got his new Bentley and it's actually really quite fuel-efficient <laughs> and and the, that doctor is saying to someone else like don't don't worry he's not actually doing those things we have it set to old school surgeon. And then of course, quiet man. I'm trying to concentrate here. Har, but, um, but um, reading, reading comics by doctors about what their experience is, I think it's really fascinating There's, I mean, God, there were so many samples. I really had to kind of weed weed some of them out as I was putting this talk together. The Annals of Internal Medicine is a a very um, respected journal that now has uh, graphic medicine, um, uh, a regular uh, running column. Um, And the first one that I read was by a doctor, and it was his story of the first his first patient that he lost, that died on his watch. And it was really moving and the kind of story that we really don't get to hear very much, if at all. Sketches from Outside the Margins, I have a number of copies of these, of this. It was put out by the Seattle King County Health Department. They've put out a number of um, informational comic books. Um, for like, for example, instead of having piles of brochures about preparedness, earthquake, earthquake preparedness, they they put out um, comic books of stories. Like um, one of them, for that in particular, it's a survivor of an earthquake, and it goes through his stories, and then and then specifically things for you to do. So it's given a context and uh, so, something to kind of chew to chew on and. give it a real real kind of impact. And what what this one is, Sketches from Outside the Margins, um, I think it's been three years, it says in here, for the past three years, I think, um, there's been a pop-up, here, I'm just gonna read my notes here. It's by 11 Seattle cartoonists. This one is part of a, uh, I think, four-panel comic by Tatiana Gill. Um, this collection is based on interviews with patients at the Seattle-King County Pop-Up Clinic at Key Arena where thousands of people get free health care over four days. People start lining up the night before, doing that kind of like camping out thing. And it's fascinating to read these stories. A lot of people have health care, have health insurance, but they don't, um, they don't have enough. Like, it doesn't cover dental. You know, a lot of us are familiar with that. And if you like... Have a situation where you've lost a lot of your teeth. Good luck finding a job, right? So, it there, there are so many really interesting stories in here, and a lot of them are really hopeful, and a lot of them are they're all really thought provoking. So, um, I I actually a- asked um, Meredith, who is the Meredith Lee Valmer, who is the person at the um, at the um, Seattle King County Health Department. And she's also a cartoonist. And she's in my comics and medicine book group, which is called Comics Fever. And, uh, and, I, and I brought a bunch of these in, t- 10 of them to be exact, that I want to give out. And so uh, I've decided that when uh, anybody who asks a question, you get a comic book. OK, and then, and then last of this zippy survey. Um, this is uh, on the informational end of, the, of comics and medicine, of graphic medicine, graphic medicine, comics and medicine. Uh, Iggy and the Inhalers uh, is a creation of Alex Thomas. He's a, a pediatric allergist and has been a cartoonist since he was wee, when his mother was a pediatric allergist and he used to do little drawings for her that she wound up using. Um, Iggy and the Inhalers is um, its a series of comic books where he created a number of different characters to help teach kids about their different inhalers, about what's going on in their bodies, their, um, Fabulous Um, they've done there. There are more studies about the impact of this kind of health information than there is about the fuzzier um, information about if um, How much of an impact let's say a memoir has on readers? Um, it helps with uh, information retention um, and um, and Kids read the comics more than they read just like the informational handouts and they also have um, stickers. Oh, I think I have them somewhere. Um, uh, stick- they have trading cards and all this stuff with all the characters on them, including stickers that you can put on your asthma, your inhaler, so that you can remember if it's Iggy or if it's like Roboto or whatever the different roles have. Okay, so this is the book that I'm working on now. It is the sequel... To uh, marbles, Um, rock steady, brilliant advice from my bipolar life, and it's a self-help slash graphic memoir um, about maintaining stability with a mood disorder. Um, That's what Brendan was uh, was talking about. Like, what's the terminology? There's no like graphic journalism. So it's like. Graphic self-help with elements of memoir in it. Just little vignettes. Um, and let's see. Oh, and so I'm going to read a little bit um, from the chapter called You Have Company, which uh, is my take on You're Not Alone because I like to kind of give a, th- a thing that you have. You have company. Um, and I emphasize about coming out, that coming out is a really great way to uh, to feel like you have company. Um, it brings out other people. I was actually just talking with uh, a teacher, a friend of mine, whose students are really concerned about medication and diagnoses and depression and things that they're going through. And her disclosure to them of, of her, her own health, her own mental health, allowed all of them to just come out. Um, it's pretty amazing how people will share their stories when somebody else comes out. But um, it's hard. It's the most effective way to combat stigma and self-stigma, but it's hard it's really hard um, and uh, you might mess up and part of the point of my of my uh, putting rock steady together it, from a bipolar person's point of view is that we have all of these I don't know why I'm doing that why why we have all of these things that we know advice that we know we know that we need to take our meds we know that you know that we know we need to get to bed on time but it's hard. Like, we're living a life. And I wanted to make sure that it was clear that we are human lives, that we have company, that somebody else who has managed to stay stable uh, for a number of years now also messes up sometimes. So um, this is from uh, You Have Company um, and about coming out. This page is oh and I should also say that this is if it's not if it's not completely obvious uh, it's still in the thumbnail sketch stage you notice the difference between like oh she's she's doing something new kind of rough you know like it's not it's not done yet okay ask the bipolar ms manners mind your manners because your mind matters dear bipolar ms manners How long should I wait before telling someone I'm dating that I have a mood disorder? Thank you, crazy in love. Dear crazy in love, excellent question. Of course, there is no specific timeline, but I'll paraphrase sex advice columnist Dan Savage as there are striking similarities with telling someone that you're kinky. One, be calm and sober and ideally stable. Two, give your disclosure the time, space, and care it deserves. Three, it's fine to wait and get to know each other first. If you don't click, it's a moot point. Four, it's okay to disclose right away if you want to vet them, but only if you're confident you'll be okay with a rejection. Five, do disclose before making any major commitments. Six, okay, that said, if you do want something more specific, let's say three to five dates. And then, seven, last, a caution, if you're feeling super sexual, high energy, entanglements that begin with mania or hypomania may get distressingly complicated. Ms. Bipolar knows. My best wishes for getting the love you deserve. Sincerely, The Bipolar Ms. Manners. Now I admit, although I was stable, I wasn't so cautious about telling this guy. Portland, 2009. After pursuing Jake for days, Come here, I think you're great. He finally gave in and I totally fell for him. Later, in my hotel room, should I take my meds fast so he doesn't see or wait and I'll act like it's no big deal? Screet! His shower is over. My mind could not choose quickly enough, and thus, I succeeded at neither. These are just, I'm bipolar. (laughs) I suppose a part of me just wanted to get it over with. If he's gonna bolt, best that he do it now. This is like pills, like confetti. Woo! (laughs) Ding dong. His reply came in, oh my god, stress-o-vision. No big deal. Remember, I went to art school. (laughs) We survived that and became partners. Now it's a story we tell, and Jake has the last lines. I admit it made me nervous. Not the bipolar part, the blurt part. (laughs) So. When Marbles was about to come out, a friend of mine asked if I was ready to be the bipolar cartoonist. And I, I had to think about that, and then I figured, you know, yeah, yeah, that's okay with me, I'll do that. I'll be the bipolar cartoonist if, if that's what happens. And now in, the, in this context that I didn't know of then, of graphic medicine and, and all that it can do, uh, I'm that much more happy that that's where I am and that's what I do and that I'm a part of that. Thank you. Questioner, Um Hi, yes. I know some, hi.
0: someone that is, um, has not been diagnosed, mm-hmm. um, but still has to take medications. Um, what would your advice be for him to disclose to a possible mate, so?
1: Wait, he's not been diagnosed, but takes medication.
0: Yeah, so um, it, it's, it's like real low dose but well, and, um, and it uh, i I don't know why there hasn't been a diagnosis i'm you know it,
1: it's... okay, so it, that's a situation that I'm not sure what's going on yeah. like what, who would be prescribing medication yeah. to someone who well, so I'm not sure professional. I, I mean, I you know, mean yeah. it it sounds like so so far as your question about about disclosure coming coming yeah. out yeah right um, and, uh, and, and something that you don't know because. Yeah, that's... Right, right. Uh, Yeah, well, everyone's story is different. Yeah. And and certainly, like, coming out is super subjective, very individual. Marbles was my big coming out. I mean, I think that at this point, the, the thought of, like, just, you know, just, like, just out with it. Hey, everyone, I'm bipolar. Okay, anyway, moving on. Just would have scared the crap out of me. I mean, it was really f- quite frightening for it to when it was coming out, and very very like frank and open about it now. But it's not easy. Um, sometimes it doesn't make sense to come out at work, depending just because stigma and discrimination is very real. Like, where where do you where where do do you're like, oh, damn it, you know, like people are gonna know, and people, you know, like somebody's got to make a difference if you can't hold a job that you want. You know, so it's it's in particular uh, in in work it's very complicated decision to make. So um, uh, so I can't. Some of the some of the hardest questions that I get are, what do I do for my friend? Um, and so this is this seems like it has some extra twists and turns to it. If um, if there's no clear diagnosis either, I'm not sure yeah. what he would be coming out with. Okay.
0: Uh, yeah. <laughs> Hi, thank Hi. you. Uh that was wonderful. Um uh, so I, I think with that we're sort of as a culture like largely past the uh sort of snobbishness um in, in attitude towards like comics and uh and cartoons Ooh. as like a high <laughs> I mean I mean we're getting over it. We're mm-hmm. um right. And uh uh, and I, I think that's great, but I'm, I'm wondering if... Um, oh, and at the same time, there's like, you know, still this stigmatization of, um, of you know, mental, um, emotional disorders. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm wondering if you've um, encountered sort of resistance um, to this, uh, to, to your kind of presentation. Um.
1: Um, well, um, I think, that are you from Seattle? I live in Seattle. Ish. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, com- comics—the—the—the the, um, the statement that you just made—that—that that comics are being taken seriously now, like that—that that is not a, like a definite set in stone. It's still very, very much like making its way into education. Um, it's still like a really Big deal. Um, bookstores didn't even carry graphic novels until uh, until probably the early 2000s. And and here's one of the things: comics are generally it's been a it's been a slow it's been a slow process. I think first they're they're being uh, accepted as maybe serious literature. Mm-hmm. But it's a ways to go yet before um, before it gets into say uh, use in in medicine, or even like one of my one of my one of my hopes still is that marbles could be used in a psychology class it's taught but it's taught in writing classes it's taught in disability studies, which is a bit more progressive now but um but but even. Even the way that bookstores are set up, um, if, you go, if you go to Elliott Bay and go to the section on mental health and look at bipolar memoirs, you will not find mine. You will find mine in graphic novels next to like Calvin and Hobbes and Ms. Marvel. And um, that's not, that transition hasn't happened yet. I know anecdotally, for example, of of clinicians that have given my book to therapists, but it hasn't been um, reviewed in any sort of um, like medical journals. So there's still there's still a ways to go. Um, I I think that it's one of those things where it's easy to get into a kind of a bubble that say, of course, people take comics seriously, you know. But um, but there's still a, a huge a huge way to go. It's a fight. It's still a fight. Believe it or not, those of you who are like, what? Of course. No, it's still got a ways to go.
0: Thank you. Yeah, thanks.
2: I, um, I'm from Texas. I, I didn't take comic books very seriously. Ah. But um, I, want, I, I appreciate so much of what you said, and it's really exciting. Um, Yay! It's really exciting, because it, it seems to marry both education and, and getting information in a very digestible way, but mm-hmm. also empathy and, like this, and mm-hmm. the story and care. And for things like coming out with a disorder of some sort or, or other struggles, it seems like comic books or graphic novels are such a uh, broad platform to address so many different things and mm-hmm. bridge an empathy gap. Mm-hmm. And without, I, I, without, getting, without trying to scatter the focus too much of what the potential of that is, it just gets so—it's so exciting to think about um, the disparity in in opinions these days, or the 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 dissonance that we feel in the country, or different political issues, and um, we get to see a lot of the 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 I guess the front end of or the back end, no, the front end of where people come from. We get to see what people say or what mm-hmm. their opinions are, but we don't oftentimes get to see the narrative behind that. Right. And it seems like in the graphic novels and a lot of the things you just showed, you get to see. Some of the more vulnerable thoughts that happen in the backgrounds or the backstory, and I'm curious' I, 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 uh, it's, it's exciting that graphic medicine is your focus um, at least presently but i'm I'm curious how much the graphic artist community thinks of this as a tool in a really broad way, and then there's the issues of how digestible is that uh, for everybody but right, um, right I think of it in terms of you know political issues and also like homelessness and all sorts of other things where it's like, what in the world is going on in people's heads? And this seems like a digestible right. way right. to do that.
1: Yeah. Um, yes. Thank you for that. Thank you. I, but, um, hooray. I, it sounds like you're a convert. <laughs> <Woo! Yeah. laughs> Stories are really, really powerful. Personal stories are really powerful. Um, it's been shown over and over in any number of different ways that getting to know a person if like getting to know, let's say, you know, homelessness, getting to know a person um, makes a com- huge, like one, 180 degree turn for, for knowing what that experience is like, for, for making any sort of movements to social social change, um, so that personal that personal aspect, getting to know someone in a personal way, ideally in person. But uh, I also feel that comics are an excellent way to get to get across very specific information. This is where I live. This is how I live. With that very kind of intuitive, visceral, internal information of how things feel. Mm-hmm. Um, as, as well as uh, stories are how people understand the world. That's why we have myths. That's why we have religion. That's why we tell fables. Uh, uh, that's why we gossip. You know, it's how we it's how we understand it's how we understand things. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think I think that it's much that 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 comics are very powerful, and that what comics can do uh, is very very broad and fits into many genres. It's it's still new in getting the in getting the kind of uh, respect I guess that would uh, that would allow it. So one new getting the getting the kind of I guess respect um, to uh, to go into say for example the bipolar memoir section mm-hmm. in psychology as opposed to like getting kind of sh- 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 shunted over there. Um, but then also uh, distribution, like for example this comic that you're going to get, uh, it's, it's awesome, it's, um, it's really, really moving. And it's—I mean—I think that like all of these personal stories for people, like who, who, like the 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 refugee, the homeless guy, the, the, the artist who just needed a little bit of dental work done, like all of these, all of these different people and all of their different stories. It's so it's so great and simple and and moving. But um, distributed where, mm-hmm. how? It's online. You know, it's left. I asked Meredith, there's a long list of places that, that um, it's been distributed. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of hopes, you know, like if it gets into the right, gets under the right nose of somebody who will take it seriously, maybe it will make its way into some sort of healthcare legislative decisions. Look, here are those stories. Here are those personal stories that you wanna hear. But it hasn't quite made it there yet. Um, I think a lot of it is the preconceptions about, about the reliability of comics and, and just what, what people think of as, um, I mean, still think of as the funnies mm-hmm. often. So yeah, I, I agree. They're very powerful and there is an e- enormous potential. Um, and, uh, and I think it's happening slowly. Thanks. I don't know this works. Mm. Um, given how this culture fetishizes mental given, well, illness. I'm sorry, I was swallowing. Oh, <laughs> that's right. Uh, given how this culture fetishizes mental illness for artists, how it's almost considered a good thing if mm. artists are crazy, mm-hmm. were you almost reluctant to treat your bipolar disorder? Were you afraid that you might lose your edge, your imagination, or your energy? I was terrified terrified. Absolutely. Uh, In the beginning, I didn't want to take medication. When I was very manic, when I was diagnosed, uh, what would happen to my creativity? What would happen to any sort of artistic inspiration? What would happen to the way I think? Uh, Would everything be flat? Um, And it was when um, I I agreed to take something to sleep. and, and And that was it until the inevitable slide into depression when I knew without a doubt that I could not handle it on my own. Um, and that was completely beside the point. There was no way that I was going to be able to create any art in that right. state in, in any case. And so that was, that was where my deciding to, to like, re- reach out to my psychiatrist, you know, help. help. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, I mean, over over the years, you know, I stabilized, and I've and I have um, continued taking medications and and uh, being stable, actually. As you'll see in Rock steady, it's a, it's a whole range of things like getting enough sleep and, and knowing how to take care of your jet lag and figuring out uh, how to keep a routine that works for you and maybe meditating and some sort of like all of those things and all of those things and valuing being stable was a huge thing for this passionate artist. You know, like I'm up and I'm down and I'm... Uh, uh. So like le- learning, learning to, uh, learning to f- have a different set of... Values was really, was really huge. And learning that that uh, actually made me more creative Good. was um, um, uh, astounding to me and has, has remained um, so uh, important in my, in my work and in staying stable and where my inspiration comes from. I can't imagine how I would have been able to do this book if I if I were still cycling. Great, that's good. (laughs) Thank you. All All right, thank you. Thank you so much. (laughs)
0: and now we break before dinner I want to very sincerely thank all of you for taking the time to come up and share some ideas and thoughts and all of these conversations that got started today can be continued over dinner uh and in the intervening period i believe the bar is open now um but you can also walk around again go to the river it's roughly that way ask ask around someone can show you where question oh uh the last i heard is that dinner was scheduled for 7 p.m um so Again, thank you, many thanks to the speakers for being so generous with their time. And sharing some great ideas and some very personal stuff. Uh, and uh, thank you to Smoke Farm, thank you to KUOW uh, for showing up to record, uh, and the River Styx Foundation, and. Uh, See you next year for our 10th symposium. I swear that's the actual number. Thank you.